space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To observe Trek to from observe outside Trek existence, from outside. to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of the universe. To seek out every second and contemplate every eon. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. Hello and welcome to Temporal Trek, the podcast that will show Trek throughout existence in complete chronological order. I'm your host, Dan Hinch. Welcome back. This is episode three, The Emissary from Deep Space Nine. This I've chosen because uh, all of these scenes between Cisco and the Prophets take place outside of space-time. In fact, that's the whole point of this episode. There's a very famous uh, line, it's often quoted, perhaps even in memes and things like that, uh, it is not linear, as the prophets uh, seem to have no concept of what time and everything that comes with it is. This episode jumps about a lot, so previous episodes we've only had sort of a single trunk and then we take it and then we move on. This one's going to be a little bit more interesting to go through, probably more of a nightmare for uh, you to watch along uh, at home. It was certainly a nightmare to do the research. What I'm going to be doing is I'll provide all the timestamps, uh, stop, start times. Again, this is all based on the Netflix UK edit of the episode, which means the whole thing is played as one episode. It's a two-parter, but it's all shown as a feature-length episode. The beginning timestamp for all of the back and forth between Cisco and the Prophets starts at 54 minutes. And one second precisely. And I can't get more precise than that. But it's a very, very quick snap. It's 54 minutes and then 22 seconds when we snap out of it. All that really happens is uh, Cisco has gone into the wormhole with Dax in a runabout. They're trying to figure out what exactly it is. They go through the wormhole and then back through, but then they get sort of caught inside it. They exit the runabout. Somehow the runabout is towed in, perhaps tracked it in with whatever profit technology exists. It lands somewhere uh, and then from there it goes. Dax is turned into what we later find out is an orb and is then transported back to DS9. All of those scenes I'm sort of discounting as out of time because as long as the runabout's there, as long as there's some piece of technology that is of space time it's kind of difficult to sort of say uh, that the characters have been transported out of space time the moment i'm choosing is when cisco is laying down on the ground during this whatever it might be hallucination perhaps simulation of this rocky barren planet it starts to crack apart and turns to a white background that's the point where I'm going to start, because I believe that that's the point where the character completely slips out of space-time. We then pick up again at 55 minutes and 11 seconds. So it's pretty quick, and then we're starting again, and we are introduced to the Prophets. Now, before we get started in the review of this segment, or these segments put together, a little bit about my thoughts on DS9 in total. I actually do think that it lives up to its reputation, that it is the first foray into serialization. It is that first move into modern TV, or as we understand it today, looking back, sort of the modern way of, uh, of approaching a TV show. So there's a lot of old Trek, the sort of episode by episode, hit the reset button and then start again, but then they start to build in this story of an overarching uh, narrative. Uh, we all know the Dominion War. I was originally hesitant to 
pick up DS9. Uh, I knew quite a lot of adult fans of Star Trek. Uh, they'd stuck with TNG through the, the tough two first two seasons. They had Sky. I, I didn't have Sky growing up. I was just BBC Two, so just Terrestrial. DS9 was about to come out on Terrestrial on BBC Two. All of my friends had Sky and they'd watched it. And some of my adult friends, whose opinions I trusted, some of them were teachers, uh, some very academic people, had sort of looked at it and said, no, it's not really that good. It sort of uh, it shies away from Star Trek. Um, the, the very familiar arguments that you hear about new Trek coming out, not just Discovery. I know I've got my little bee in my bonnet about that. But uh, when Enterprise first came out, a lot of people said that, you know, it's not the same. It's it's. It's trying to break uh, away from Star Trek. You know, it won't be ever the same. Uh, there were some detractors in, in Voyager, I remember as well. Uh, you know, something new comes along, it's difficult to sort of gauge where it's going to stand. And a lot of people saw that in uh, DS9. Having watched through the whole first episode, I can see why people had that problem. There's a lot of characters uh, who are immediately different to what we've had in TNG and TOS before. Uh, you know, you have characters like Odo and Kira and Quark, who are so vastly different to what we've seen before, uh, it's jarring. So I can understand why people were hesitant to take it on. Sadly, that meant that I kind of gave Emissary a miss as soon as it came out on BBC Two, because I, I trusted these adults, these these vaunted experts uh, in Star Trek. Little did I know that I should just stick to my own opinion, because when I eventually went back round to it, BBC did uh, a recap, uh, a couple of episodes, uh, as they were going through, uh, probably, you know, there wasn't the the uptaking viewer ratings. Um, and back then, there was fewer things to see on TV, so they might as well just shove it back on TV again. They played the emissary again, and that's where I caught up with it. And that's where I really started to see what they could do. Particularly, obviously, in the later seasons, as you get from season three onwards, you get the introduction of all the Dominion arc and the Gem Hadar, and, and everything goes through. But re-watching this episode, you can immediately see that everything that's going to come in the, the seven seasons after this is already being set up very, very well in this first episode. Far be it for me to uh, go against my favourite Star Trek in TNG, but the pilot episode's not that great. Um, so going back to Emissary and seeing how well it was put together, how all the concepts are there, they just need a little bit more ironing out. It's fantastic to watch. But we are here to examine Trek only in chronological order, so we are only going to be examining the events outside time. We've already taken that first small snippet. We are officially starting at 55 minutes and 11 seconds. We get the Prophets, who are immediately against Cisco. They start accusing him. It's corporeal, physical entity. They don't seem to have any concept of uh, who Cisco is, or the Federation, or anything that sort of sits outside of their sphere of knowledge. Now, very weird parallels to the previous two episodes. The Traveller and the Megans are very aware of humanity, that there's corporeal entities, that there is other existence. But the weird parallel is having a particular base of knowledge and being unaware of what's outside. Um, again, coming back to this idea that before social media, before Twitter and Instagram, and we saw the... Um, cognitive dissonance of people sticking to their bubble of knowledge, their their preferred interests. It's already a topic being dealt with, that this is something that the writers seem to be bringing into Star Trek through the prophets. But the prophets are so insular that they have absolutely no concept of time itself. That's the reason why I've chosen to keep it as outside time, as not time adjacent. I know you could argue that the wormhole is inside the universe, and by going into the wormhole you are therefore... Uh, 
you know, part of the universe, just in some sort of separate element of it. But because they have no sense of physical space, no sense of time, I see it as before existence or outside of existence. In fact, we start with the prophet who takes the form of Jake. Jake Sisko, what is time? He even asks the question. He has absolutely no concept whatsoever. You see Sisko uh, attempting to try and explain what it is. I honestly thought, how would you explain time to someone who has no concept of it? It's a very odd thing to, to explain the progression from one to the next to the next. Causality is a very difficult concept if you don't even get the basic experiential side of it. So much so that Cisco doesn't actually give a response when Jake asks the question. And we stop the segment at 58 minutes and 33 seconds. It's completely clueless. The, the, the Megans had uh, not only previous run-ins with historical versions of humanity but they still seemed aware that there was a physical world outside. So they at least had that experience, but the prophets had nothing. They're using the images of Cisco's past, the present to interface with him or interact with him. They instantly judge him as aggressive. So they have a concept of who he is, but not how he lives. They call him aggressive, malevolent, adversarial. They use Patrick Stewart not only as Picard, but as Locutus as well. And whenever Locutus is on screen, that's when the accusatory stuff comes through. There's even a, a character who appears to be a baseball player from what we later find out to be a holodeck simulation, but isn't actually a scene in any of the episode itself. We re-engage with the prophets, so we go back to DS9, and then we re-engage uh, with uh, outside time at 59 minutes and 32 seconds. Malevolent, aggressive. They're constantly accusing Cisco. It seems like they're putting him on trial in some respects. Another weird parallel to the Megans. They put the the crew of the original Enterprise, uh, 1701, no bloody A, B, C or D, uh, on trial. And here seems the prophets are also ready to put someone on trial. Now, the Traveller didn't do anything. He wasn't accusatory. He was, if anything, using them to travel out to these places. But again, we've got a court case. We've got someone who has to justify their existence. The Wormhole Aliens, through Patrick Stewart's uh, Picard prophet, um, I think I'll probably just use the character names. It's going to get very confusing if I have to describe everything. Uh, so I will just use the character names and we'll just assume that they are a prophet in that form. So Picard, um, he's talking about we seek contact with other life forms, not corporeal creatures, here to annihilate us. Locutus then comes on screen and says, destroy it now. So they have a concept of destruction. They have a concept of aggression malevolence, very human-sounding emotions. Uh, perhaps they have a different concept of what they are, but they still don't have a concept of time, which is very odd. And that's kind of what threw me out. If I am just taking these sections uh, and I'm not taking in the whole span of Star Trek history beforehand, if this were just confronted at me, it seems very odd that they've got concepts of emotions and responses, motivations but don't seem to have concepts of time and space and living. So it, it's very jarring to watch these scenes. Cisco instantly leaps into the, the typical Star Trek trope response. You know, we respect life, um, that uh, we hold it very dear. He falls just short of giving a full prime directive uh, speech, like, like the true Picard would, not the prophet Picard. But instantly goes, let me prove it. So he brings that judgment on himself. And I think that's a really good uh, indication of how Cisco deals with the problem as opposed to everybody else. Picard, the actual Captain Picard, not the prophet, he would probably let things happen to him, as does in previous episodes. He he reacts to what comes his way, whereas Cisco seems to head on 
approach it and try to tackle the problem. And he tries to prove it. His first statement is, it could be argued that a human is a sum of his experiences, to which Jake responds, what are experiences? Now, it's an odd play to go straight for that. He's not trying to explain what time is, which the original question was, and they are judging him for perceived motivations of of what he's there to do, but he's instantly putting himself on trial as some sort of example of what humanity should be. Another parallel to the Megans, humanity is on trial, again, trying to live up to this expectation. So again, it it seems to be that if you're outside time, humanity is always on trial, that if we're going to be looking at the whole span of history and what's to come, uh, humanity should somehow be judged. And it's a very um, very Christianized way of looking at things, um, I, I feel anyway. Uh, not being a Christian, obviously, feel free to correct me on this, but the idea that in another place, in another sort of existence, humanity or the people coming to that reality have to be judged, um, that you can't just be somewhere, you have to be worthy of it. So Jake has asked what our experience is. Cisco goes into um, a very bland explanation of, you know, its memories, its past, everything that's come before. But Jake still has no idea because they don't have that. Just jumping out of the episode and just looking at it as a production, looking at Cyril Lofton, uh, who played Jake Cisco. this is a kid actor who is really pulling off this otherworldly aspect of this character. We've only seen him in the episode up to this point as Jake, and now he's being Jake the Prophet. He does really well. I mean, I think I think the, the casting on this episode is, is lucked out. <laughs> it's particularly for him. He's he's really um, pulled it off. Uh, it's very believable. He, the way he delivers his lines is just that, just that weirdness. Um, and well worth a look when you when you go back and watch this episode. If you want to join me on this uh, insane idea of uh, going through all the episodes in chronological order, uh, do give it a look. I think he does really really well. Cisco goes back to talking about linear time. You don't need to fear me if uh, you examine just my life. So again, Cisco is using his own personal experiences, not all of humanity. He is saying that just look at one human being, and that will give you all you need to know. And at that point, we stop at one hour. One minute and 40 seconds, and we jump back to DS9. So already we've set up this idea of a trial. We jump back into the out-of-time element at one hour, five minutes, and six seconds. And we have a new prophet, Jennifer Sisko, who seems to bring out something different in Sisko. He seems to want to try harder to convince her. And that, I think, plays very well into later parts of these scenes. He even starts talking to her about how he lost her, and they have no concept of being lost, um, and that it's inconceivable that uh, that uh, creatures could live that way. They think that he's trying to deceive them, um, but he talks about 15 years ago, both he and Jennifer sat in a park, and we sort of see this reenactment of the two couples coming together, and their first discussions of perhaps starting a family uh, and getting married. Uh, and it's a really sweet scene between the two. But uh, I will say, just on this this element, I'm not counting this as time travel. This appears to be a simulation that's put forward using Cisco's memories. So when time comes and I'm watching all the episodes, I'm not going to be watching this scene before TNG because 15 years ago would be before even the pilot of TNG. This is a simulation. Uh, I'm not going to treat this as time travel. If you disagree with me, please let me know in feedback and then I'll pop it back in if you can give me a convincing argument that this is time travel 
not a simulation. Cisco then talks about how each day affects the next, which <laughs> seems to be uh, what this podcast is all about, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the scene itself is really, really cute. You've got the two Cisco's. They're actually talking about how Starfleet officers live. That there's this perception, at least from Jennifer Cisco, even jokingly, that Starfleet officers don't want families. They don't want to be tied down. Um, uh, uh, ben Cisco sort of playfully comes back and says, "You know, uh, that sounds like a domestic inquiry. Do you want to know any more? You know, that kind of stuff." Uh, and it's a really cute sort of flirty scene between the two of them, considering that these actors probably hadn't met before, or even if they had, they hadn't been these characters before. So it was a really nice interplay between the two. Two characters actually kiss and it instantly got me thinking oh my god this is this is just like uh kirk you know having to explain kissing you know what is love and um you know all we need is the soft lighting and the the vaseline smeared on the camera lens you know the physical touch and pleasure uh you know the jennifer cisco prophet uh, even touches her lips you know purses them forward you know kirk would be in there like a shot as soon as this really cute scene ends, we cut to a scene from the beginning of the episode, which obviously we're not seeing here, but we'll have to mention because it's in this area, to the day he lost Jennifer on board the ship that he was serving where he lost Jennifer in the Battle of Wolf 359 against the Borg. All of the prophets who are talking to him, some are now uh, other members of this crew, saying, you know, if everything you say about days after days after days affecting the next, why do you exist here and this i think is the best bit of character setup for all of these scenes because at first you think well he doesn't exist there they're they're just not understanding you know it's the prophets they're just uh, not getting that time is different uh, they they see all of his experiences all at once so why do you exist here um if you've lost her then you know just just go back and see her again the day before but what it, i think it's actually setting up and what i think it does really well and the reason why i love ds9 is it's obviously setting up the trauma aspect that this is recovery this is ptsd or this is grief this is bereavement and this character is trying to get past this event and he lives in this one moment when he lost his wife, a defining moment. You know, if we want to cross the streams and go to other franchises, this is his Batman moment. Batman cannot live outside that moment where he loses his parents. Cisco can't live without that moment where they think about losing Jennifer. We stop here at one hour, eight minutes and 49 seconds. As something seems to be disrupting the prophets, there's this weird sound effect as if something's sort of tearing through the prophets and they just stop talking. There's a brief comeback at one hour, eight minutes and 59 seconds where we just see Cisco's face against the white background and we hear the weird uh, heartbeat sort of sound effect in the background which is quite disturbing because you're thinking that you know perhaps he's being uh, pulled apart in this reality but uh, it turns out that there's a ship coming through the wormhole we come back in at one hour and nine minutes on the dot then we go back out again to one hour nine minutes and 26 seconds when we come back to the prophets. Cisco's wondering where they are, he seems to be quite panicky, but he guesses that a ship has come through the wormhole. We then learn that linear natures and linear things coming through the wormhole disrupts their nature. So it's another piece of evidence that I think that shows that this is outside time. Because if existence itself disrupts it, then it must be anti-existence, or it must not be part of our universe. Things going through the wormhole seem to disrupt them in some way, and that that linear uh, existence is destructive 
to them. Every choice has an impact. And Cisco immediately says, well, this this is things we live with. This is our past experience. It guides us through our mistakes. You know, we don't know that we're hurting you by coming through the wormhole. We, we apologize. All of our experience just showed us that this was just another wormhole, that it, it seemed artificially created, but we were going to treat it as any kind of phenomenon. We had no idea that there were living creatures inside. And he's talking about how past experience, all the days before, are still leading up to how they react today. And then uh, we get uh, another cute scene. Um, I think it seems to be filmed in the sick bay of the Enterprise D sets from TNG, so they're obviously recycling as far as the production. But we see Jennifer lying there, and Cisco is holding baby Jake. Um, I will say that, obviously, I was watching these episodes with... Uh, my baby son, uh, Zachary, my one-year-old, uh, he saw the baby there and he kind of just like tip, tipped his head and went, Arr! in kind of like a cutesy way. So you know, we've got a non-Trek fan reacting to this episode. I'm going to use it as evidence. It's always going to be there. But they start talking about linear procreation and how this is how they outlive all of the present, uh, all the present experiences. So this is how they can carry on. That even though they are lost, an element of them will live on. Um, it's all right. It, it's not uh, the greatest. Uh, it's not the most uh, groundbreaking of arguments that you're lost, but something lives on, and you know, through having children, you survive death, uh, which is obviously a concept that the, the prophets still don't understand. But it serves a purpose, even to us, the audience watching this. We we know what he's talking about. We know that there are you know, good things in this universe. You know, having babies is is an amazing experience, and so on, and that all past experiences help us guide what our future offspring will do as well and then we jump into the baseball uh, we find out that it is a simulation that it is a holodeck simulation and that the prophets are using the characters from that simulation as well as jake again in full baseball gear and we get the uh the adversarial uh, malevolent destructive again that uh, cisco lightens up straight away he's i think he feels like he's already proved his point as far as how humanity lives now he's got to defend against the, the accusation that they are desperately trying to hurt uh, and he lightens up he just smiles he says no competition it's fun this is an aggression we're playing a game as soon as they ask like what is a game and they have no idea of this either he seems genuinely thrown off like being asked what is time seems fairly easy for him but for some reason explaining a game particularly his favorite game baseball uh, that instantly throws him off and he's like um i was kind of hoping you weren't gonna ask that but he instantly gets this epiphany he throws the ball up catches it it's linear. Uh, it's a beautiful little character moment because we know that baseball is going to play a big part in the future of the series. Obviously, not going to talk about it. That's a whole other episodes uh, to come. But he starts talking about probability. He starts framing things in a mathematical way of thinking. It's about anticipation, working out outcomes based on all the thousands of different possibilities that happen as soon as an object is moving from one to another. Jake says, you value your ignorance. And Cisco punches the scene with a great line. Uh, I love this from the writers. Again, you know, you may watch this and you think that it's very, very corny. But when he says the unknown that defines our existence, I love those kind of lines. Um, it just, it just sums up what Star Trek is for me. It's that very scientific idea that there is existence. We will test our, our our theories about what the nature of it is and we will test it and test it and test it. And even if we're wrong, that's the best thing, to know that we made a wrong guess and we can just try again and do it again. We don't think we have all the answers. That's why I love Star Trek. He says the game isn't worth playing if uh, you already know the outcome, that they are explorers. 
They're not here to conquer with weapons or with words. Now, that's really interesting for me as well. Again, sets up Star Trek. That's why I love it. You know, it's not about conquering. It's not about taking over other things and destroying reality. It's about understanding reality. But it is very interesting that he says not to conquer with weapons or with words. Because I would argue they are there to at least conquer with words. When you look at Star Trek, again, not going to go into detail because that's not the point of this episode. But when you look at Star Trek, the Federation is always looking to incorporate other cultures into itself. Words are its currency, are its power. Uh, unlike the Klingons, unlike the Romulans and so forth, who do use weapons and words come later. Fantastically shown in the Cardassians, whereas the Federation seem to only use words. Of course, they've got their faces, photon torpedoes, but they will never use them until the words are run out. But I do feel like the Federation does sort of conquer. It subsumes, it, it sort of incorporates other cultures through words. So it's odd that he would choose that, or the writers would put that into the character of Sisko's mouth. It's something that you know, DS9 will deal with later through all of its seven seasons, talking about how the Federation interacts with other cultures. And probably even that last part of the sentence will be dealt with and uh, examined. But it is odd that he would say that they're not there to conquer with words. Certainly not to conquer, but at least subsume or assimilate, just like the Borg, with words. Um, so it's a bit of an odd choice on that. And again, we flash straight back to his former ship during Wolf 359 at the battle why do you exist here? And we stop at 1 hour, 13 minutes and 20 seconds. We come back at 1 hour, 16 minutes and 33 seconds. Why do you exist here? They ask again. And this is where the whole scene shifts from that court case, judging humanity, even just judging Cisco himself, to the real gem of what Star Trek DS9 does uh, that looks into character motivations it drills it right down to how the people would react to these situations and that cisco has never recovered from the loss of his wife this is all about self-help this is about bereavement this is looking at how he cannot move on from that one moment in his life opaka appears to him and says look for solutions within commander again it seems really weird that they have no concept of time or living but they seem to have an idea of psychology. Um, very, very weird choices uh, from the writers, um, from if I was just to be in-universe, why would the prophets say that? Then Cisco has to tell them what dying is. Dying, what is this? Specifically gets asked by Jennifer. It's at this point that the actor, Avery Brooks, I think shows off why he was cast, why they picked him in the casting session. He breaks down. He never figured how to live without her again his Batman moment. He can't move on from Crime Alley. He can't move on from this ship. He can't give up Jennifer just yet. He is trying to get past it. It's a scene we haven't seen before in Star Trek, and it's a scene that we will see more of or similar things to in the rest of DS9 going forward and in other shows like Discovery. Oh, yes, I did say it. Um, Cisco has his sort of mental breakthrough. It's all then sort of done with looks. There isn't many uh, words to, to sort of say what's going on, uh, but he just sort of nods. He's crying. He realises that um, he's proved his case as far as that he's not there to destroy them. He still has a journey to go on, and perhaps the prophets will take him there. Perhaps the wormhole aliens will take him there. And it's a one hour... 19 minutes and 46 seconds that we end completely. 
So, it's not much to go on. Uh, it's a bit hickledy-pickledy, uh, and well done if you've been watching along with me. It was not the easiest thing to do when I was going through uh, Netflix. Um, you know, constantly pause, rewind, go back, pause again. But I think it's a really nice set of scenes. Does it work narratively? Probably not. Unlike, say, uh, The Magics of Megas 2, or even uh, the, sh the small segment in Where No One Has Gone Before, this isn't really an episode in itself. Although it deals with uh, time and how time works, and even talks about um, almost birth, middle of life, death, uh, which would fill, follow the structure of an episode, because it is so short, because it is so, so thrown together, I don't think it holds up on its own as an episode. However, I would say that if you had this as a short Trek, as a little mini sort of throwaway side part uh, to Star Trek, similar to how they did with the short treks before season two of Discovery. I think it could really work. I think it would highlight who Cisco is. Um, you could see this quite easily being perhaps, you know, the, the, the trade back for a, a, a paper comic book, you know, just the, the back issue, you know, the, the part of it that's sort of thrown in to give the fans some, some service, but not really the meat of what's going on. It does affect the motivations of the rest of the episode, the emissary. Obviously, it sets up Cisco becoming the emissary. But again, I can't value that into just the scenes we saw. Uh, that doesn't factor into my judgment at all. Just based on these scenes, um, how does it affect canon? I would say perfectly. It it fits it so well because it, it tells the, the viewer outside watching this show on Netflix, you know, looking after your kid at the same time, who Cisco is what he's dealing with, and who the prophets are, you know, how otherworldly they are. It's not always done in a very sophisticated way. It does seem very corny with some of the lines, you know, what is time? What is love? What is kissing? It's very, very corny, but it does the job it's supposed to do. It's supposed to set up these characters. It's supposed to get the, the viewers on board with what's going on. So for canon, I think it fits perfectly. Where would I change it? Where would I, I write it uh, differently? So listening back to these episodes, it can kind of seem very big-headed of me to say that I'm going to improve on it. Uh, and that's not my intention. I'm not looking to uh, in, uh, you know, uh, say that uh, I'm this fantastic writer who could make things better. I'm purely saying from my own feelings how I would rewrite it. There are some odd choices on words. I know I picked up on it quite a bit, but why would I say that I'm not here to conquer with weapons and, and not with words as well? Uh, I would chop that bit out. I would say that Cisco probably should have gone for the play of, I'm not here to conquer or destroy you with weapons. I'm here to engage you with words and to understand you better. I think I would have put that in. Just a, just a few extra words just to sort of be more consistent with what I perceive Star Trek to be. That the Federation is a superpower that uses words as its weapons. Um, not to destroy but to incorporate, to join together, to work together. Cisco is a character who, who takes a lot on his own shoulders. As we see, he puts himself forward, not all of humanity, just himself forward as this pedestal, as this example of humanity uh, and what they have to deal with and what corporeal existence is. So I think, as far as his characters are concerned, it, it perfectly matches up with him. The prophets themselves are dumb and it's it's very jarring to the person watching to find any way of relating to the the wormhole aliens the prophets so where we had the megans who were very aware of existence even though uh lucian seemed to say that they were stuck in their own way of thinking the traveler this very erudite well-meaning very 
intelligent person but who was operating on a whole other level of existence um it seems odd to then come into these characters who have literally no concept but it may sound dumb to us but to them it wouldn't so again it's hard to change the words that would they would say you know what is time perhaps i would have said things as we have no concept of time but again that would then mean that they have to explain what concepts are um so saying what is time it makes sense so i can't really see any way of changing that either so in terms of rewrites other than a small little addition to a sentence one sentence that cisco says uh, I, I like it. I think it works really well. So would I recommend this these segments put together to a Star Trek fan? Yes, absolutely. It sets up Cisco. It sets up all of DS9. Um, it gives us everything that we're about to love for the next seven seasons. So of course I'm going to recommend it to a Star Trek fan. Would I recommend it to a non-Star Trek fan. It's it's difficult because on the one hand, this gives us a scene of a character in Star Trek, in the universe of Star Trek, that I think is one of the most relatable scenes that's ever been put onto the franchise. We have a character who has gone through a traumatic event and is still living through bereavement. They haven't magically reset the button. It wasn't that, you know, two years have gone by, he's recovered from his wife uh, and he's just worried about other things now you know he, he hasn't just moved on um because of some new grand adventure to another planet unlike the rest of star trek where that view is given quite a lot of uh, legwork uh, that people can just recover from psychological trauma cisco hasn't so on that aspect i do believe that outsiders would gain a lot from it but then you come to the prophets and the way they talk and the, the corny use of questioning you know even the scene where she talks about kissing it can come down to being very very corny however if they're really paying attention uh they would understand that that's that's how the prophets would talk to him they have no idea of what time is so they've got to ask the questions uh cisco's speech about star trek is star trek it defines what humanity does it defines how they approach problems and how they intend to go on living so based on those things I would say absolutely yes to any non-Star Trek fan just watching these segments. Like I say, keep it keep it in mind that I am viewing this as a short trek, a character piece, just to give people the background on who Cisco would be. So for that reason, that's why I would recommend this to non-Star Trek fans. And there we go. That is the end of all the segments of the Emissary put together. Join me next week for episode four, DS9 episode, Profit Motive. This time, the Ferengis get outside time, and we're going to start a timestamp 35 minutes and 51 seconds. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Temporal Trek. If you would like to contribute anything to the show, fan art, music, clips, ideas for segments, then please feel free to contact me on Twitter at Hitch underscore Daniel, or on Instagram, Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer this show is always going to be free there's no patreon at all but if you would like to financially contribute to the show then i am a published author on amazon and i'll catch you in the next time stream